On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, let us hit the road in coastal New England. We start our journey amid the gilded glory of Newport, Rhode Island. We head east to Salem, home of the very famous witch trials. Take a dip with New Hampshire's coastal city of Portsmouth. Before taking in Maine and the proud town of Portland, that's all ahead on Kiwi Tripsters. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard for a very fresh edition of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley. Great to be with you. Magnificent to see you, Andrew. Isn't it just? Well, who doesn't love a roadie? A lovely, long roadie, particularly in the U.S., How do their fuel prices compared to ours, Michael? Well, it's interesting because despite the chops and changes to our fuel excise in recent months, it still staggers me how much cheaper it is to hit the road in Uncle Sam land. Indeed, Michael. And the average price of uh, 95 octane in the Mm -hmm. good old US of A is currently 97 US cents a litre. That's $1.56 in New Zealand. Wow. So I, yeah. I filled up on 95 this week and it was about $2.55. I don't know. Amazing. Rorted. Totally rorted. Yes. Not the first time in my life. Yeah. Um, yes, in the New England states, <laughs> a full tank of gas was generally about half the price of what it costs me here. So I think their fuel excise must be a bit lower than the national average, but it absolutely sweetens the deal on self-driving the USA. Yes, Economics with Michael and Andrew. And the New England coast is one of the great all-American drives. Sprawling salt marshes, crashing ocean breakers, snug seaside villages and historic lighthouses. You will see it all as you navigate the history-heavy coastline of New England and we'll start in Rhode Island because TV fans of the Gilded Age yes, are flocking to Newport. This is such a star specimen of something we discussed on Kiwi Tripsters a few weeks ago, screen tourism, whether it's TV or movies. Mm. And I have to admit, I am a raving fan of the Gilded Age TV show, which is one of Julian Fellowes' uh, period dramas. Oh, how lovely. He has done so many. Like, he did, what, Downton Abbey? I think he's done Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. He's into his period drama. He's hot to trot. (laughs) But so much of the Gilded Age TV show is shot on location inside Newport's extravagantly palatial mansions. And to get your fill of mansion snooping... Snooping is what you do well. All roads lead to Bellevue Avenue, where dozens of these (laughs) dizzying residences are sort of strung along this very leafy ave like an architectural beauty contest. How very picturesque. Now, some of these trophy homes are not open to the public, but never stops Michael, who just sort of <laughs> makes his way around the back with a camera. Uh, but are celebrity bolt holes. Judge Judy, Tay-Tay, good old Taylor Swift, yes. and Jay Leno all have homes right here. That's very true. And it's interesting how those sorts of people are actually continuing this legacy of high society wealth flaunting itself in Newport. Um, Larry Allison is another name to add to that list. He actually owns four mega mansions on Bellevue Ave. Really? 
Yeah. I mean, that's a, quite an impressive real estate portfolio. Yeah, just quietly. Now, just one of those mansions, uh, Beachwood Mansion, he spent nearly $200 million renovating it. What? $200 million on the reno? Yeah. Wow. So that was about three years ago. So, I mean, just based on that, I would imagine you would be looking at over a billion dollars if you wanted to try and buy these four mansions today. Imagine that. A billion dollars for a few houses in one neighbourhood. Yeah, just to knock a few walls down. Yeah, Yeah. nice. Now, when it comes to the Gilded Age mansions, the biggest draw is the Breakers. I love the Breakers. So this was built by America's preeminent architect, Richard Morris Hunt, and he built it for one of the richest families in the world, the Vanderbilts. Mm -hmm. A 70-room Italian Renaissance-style glamour pad, although they actually called it a summer cottage back in the day. (laughs) It's your too, as one does. <laughs> but when you go inside, it's when you enter the breathtaking central Great Hall and you think, oh, my God, this is straight out of the TV show. And it is. It's cast as the Russell's home on TV, and they are very much inspired by the Vanderbilts. But the Breakers is probably considered the showpiece of Newport's Gilded Age mansions, and it's projected up to a million people what? visit the Breakers this year because of the TV show. Really? Yeah. Sad. <laughs> now, I hear that uh, season two of the Gilded Age is due to be released in the next couple of months. You'll be busting your bung for that. Oh, yes. Which brings us to Marble, <laughs> Marble House. Yes. Yes, the bung is fizzing, by the way, counting down to season two. But Marble House, this is another... Tick list topper when it comes to mansions in Newport. A tick list topper. Yes. It's right up there with the breakers. (laughs) And it was built by William Vanderbilt as a birthday present for his wife. Right. Yes. Marble House was built shortly before the breakers. So once again, it was sort of built as a summer cottage. Uh, as they called it back in the 1890s. But the ballroom within Marble House was inspired by the Hall of Mirrors at Versailles. So it's Ah. Almost completely encrusted in gold. Ooh. It's insane. Ooh. And the TV production were actually shooting inside Marble House when I was in town. Oh, did you get a little part as an extra in the background? <laughs> a little cameo shimmying across the central hall? No, I did not. You were the guy peering through the window? <laughs> but many of these historic trophy homes are actually owned now by the Preservation Society. That's the ones that Larry hasn't bought up. <laughs> um, and it has been such a financial goldmine the TV show, because obviously keeping up the maintenance costs on these mansions is massive. Oh, yeah. But with this visitor trade, um, it's got that sorted. Gold coin donation, is it? Very much. Yeah. Okay, yeah. best of all, the cliff walk is an absolute must-do, and it won't cost you a cent. Yes. Now, this is a way you can actually see the trophy homes that aren't open to the public. So you sort of like get the back-end view of oh, yes. Larry Ellison's four mega mansions. I'm not sure um, I want the back-end view of Larry Ellison. But. <laughs> Beachwood and Seacliff are two of his mansions. You see those on the cliff walk. Uh, and obviously, being a walk along the cliffs, it is free. Just above the cliff walk at Marble House, something really cool is this highly ornate Chinese tea house that Elva Vanderbilt added to the grounds. And she would often host tea parties there to raise funds for the campaign to give American women the right to vote. So, yeah, all sorts of little historic nuggets along the way. Oh, lovely. Now, managed to retreat is a topical concern around the world because of cliff erosion. 
Is that a bit of a concern in Newport? Yeah, well, I thought it was rather interesting that back in the day, in the 1890s, when these Gilded Age mansions were constructed, they all seem to have been set well back from the cliffs. So I don't know if they consulted an oracle or a passing Nostradamus. Or like a bit of common sense. Yeah, but they certainly uh, were visionary because they are not teetering on the edge. They've got these massive lawns, and I guess that's probably what they wanted. A nice big, rolling, velvety, lavish lawn around their property. Well, yeah, also, it doesn't take much to put two and two together. I mean, for how many years have people driven through Red Cliffs just out of Christchurch and looked up at the houses I know. on the cliffs and gone, that'll fall off one day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sure enough. Yeah, I mm. mean, it's the same in what? North Shore and Auckland? Yeah. And yeah, it's terrible. But anyway, interestingly, as you walk along the cliff walk, you do actually notice a lot of coastal erosion with the sea just encroaching um, ever more. So, yeah, the fact that they built their mansions way back from the cliff edge, very smart. Very clever. Now, Newport is the self-described sailing capital of the world and home to the America's Cup Hall of Fame. Indeed. So you can hit the water on one of the old-school America's Cup 12-metre yachts. I thought of you. I thought that would be you because you were actually quite a budding yachty as a kid, weren't you? I was indeed, Were you in the P-class or what were you? I had a P-class, Sunburst. Anyway, but uh, sailed a catamaran. Yeah. Yeah. Could be you, Andrew. So, yes, you can take a sailing tour of Newport Harbour and Narragansett Bay. It's also another cool way to see those mansions, by the way. The Sailing Museum does a really good job chronicling the history of the Cup. And in the Hall of Fame, I noticed the last Kiwi to be inducted was none other than PJ Montgomery. Oh, Pete Montgomery. Has they round the windward mark? <laughs> He was fantastic. And he yeah. was the voice yes. of America's Cup in you know, 86, 87, yep. when mm. we were competing in Perth. Yes. Kiwi Magic, Chris Dixon. Yes. And we got beaten. By and Dirty left, Dennis. Wow, well, yes. Dirty Dennis. Yes. 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 <laughs> anyway, PJ's the last Kiwi to be inducted two years ago. Now, Newport's sporting heritage isn't just confined to the water. Check out the tennis Hall of Fame. This is brilliant. I wasn't aware of this history, but Newport is home to the International Tennis Hall of Fame Museum. On the site where the first US national champs were held in the 1880s, which was like the forerunner to the US Open that's now held at uh, Flushing Meadow in New York. Hmm. So for the original experience, they've actually got the grass courts they used to use in the 1880s that are open to the public. You can fling your racket around those. I did. I had a good swing on the racket. Um, uh-huh. Yes. And Anthony Wilding. Oh, good grief. Is the lone Kiwi honoured in the Hall of Fame. PJ Montgomery isn't there. Did he play tennis? No. That's oh. why he's not there. Right. So, stay with us. We're Atlantic bound next as we skim the coast north in New England. Don't go away. This is Kiwi Tripsters. You're back with Mike and Andrew as we coast it in New England. All right, we've done Newport. Let's head for the Atlantic coast and the shoreline town of Plymouth, a town associated with the Pilgrims. Indeed. So they had a rather tortuous 66-day voyage across from Blighty. Oh, yes. They reached the American mainland in 1620 to start their colony. But interestingly, they didn't land at Plymouth first. No. The Mayflower first dropped anchor at Provincetown in Cape Cod. But they had a bit of a skirmish with the local indigenous people. Thought mm-hmm. we better rock out of town. So a they, skirmish. A skirmish. Yes. <laughs> a fracas. Yes. yes. Uh, so they 
headed up um, to Plymouth and settled there six weeks later. You can see a replica of the Mayflower in Plymouth Bay today, which is quite cool. Mm -hmm. And that's alongside the rock, Plymouth Rock, which in reality (laughs) is a bit of a disappointment. (laughs) Yeah, well. It's this large boulder etched with the date 1620. Americans can certainly talk it up. Yeah. Now, north of Boston, follow your nose on Highway 1, the oldest major highway on the eastern seaboard, offering unrivaled access to the very best of New England's northern coast. Yes, and for a really cool diversion, mm-hmm. witch mania. Oh. <laughs> Take a quick dip with Salem. Funny um, how you mention quick dip. Mm. Do you remember the... Uh, <laughs> I know where you're going. I know. So the test for a witch back in the day, before yes. we get into Salem, the yes. test for a witch in many places was the drowning test. Yes. So they'd throw you in to the water, bound and whatever, Yeah. and if you drowned, you weren't a witch. That's right. If you lived, you were a witch, so but, they killed you. Yes. <laughs> There's not much... <laughs> Hobson's choice, really, there. <laughs> it's not really... Yeah. 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 Anyway... Uh, So to get a flavour of Salem's very strange journey from paranoia to pardon, uh, I headed to the Salem Witch Museum, and there were more than 200 people in Salem who were accused of practising witchcraft back in the day. This is another spectacular example of how stories get a life of their own. Despite popular belief not a single witch was actually burnt at Salem, 19 people were hanged. Mm -hmm. And five of them men. Yes. Only 19. I mean, there's 19 people that shouldn't have been hanged. True. But it was only 19. It wasn't, you know, America was full of witches. Yes. So we're talking back around 1692, 1693, and this whole witch hunt uh, came about from a teenager, right? A snarky 17-year-old and some of uh, their friends started rumours which took hold. Since prevailed some years later, but boy, it got out of hand. Even animals fell victim to the mass hysteria in Salem and were executed. Mind you, Salem was a very snarky place to begin with, much in fighting and backstabbing, so it was probably no surprise that the hysteria took off. Yes, because you had like the Puritans in yes. town and there were all these like religious tensions, wasn't there, I think? Well, the anybody that wore a skirt that showed their ankles was yeah. probably going to be called a witch. Yes. And that's where it started. So if you go to the Salem Witch Museum today, they do a really good job showcasing the trials with uh, some historical presentations. The first is in this large auditorium, and they've got these life-sized stage sets. So you're like you're taken into the courtroom as such, yes, uh, where witches uh, were being tried as such. But it's really dramatically narrated. It's brilliant. Quite immersive, they say. Quite immersive. And then you've got this adjoining gallery, which actually examines the European witchcraft trials, uh, the evolving image of the witch, and how it goes way back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. In truth, in Europe, which is where most of the witches, so-called, were killed, uh, at least half of them were males. Yes, yeah, yeah, very so much. The story of witch trials and witch burning is mm. much exaggerated and yeah. much changed yeah. throughout history. That's true. I, I guess the common thread is just over the ages how there is always a bit of scapegoating and persecution in society. I love how you say a bit of. <laughs> <laughs> so while in Salem, check out Corwin House, which was home to Judge Jonathan Corwin, one of the magistrates in the witch trials. 
His house is actually really spooky. Well, I'm not surprised. Which, which is why the locals call it the witch house. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is the only structure still standing with direct ties to the trials, and it has been preserved in its original appearance. Outstanding. Now, not far from Salem is a very photogenic village of Rockport. Yes. Rockport's red fishing shack with its lobster boys is... Known in New England arty circles as motif number one because that's where it is painted and photographed so much. It's just become this ultimate quintessential scene of New England. So it's a very arty town, Rockport. So art gallery studios, they are everywhere. It's a really picturesque little fishing town. So if you need a little bit of an upper... After (laughs) all of the macabre history of Salem, Rockport's where to go. Okay, now the greatest local curiosity is the Paper House, built in 1922, entirely of newspaper, and also the furniture inside, built entirely of newspaper. Yes. So don't light a match. It was constructed by a Swedish engineer. Right. I don't know if he ended up working for IKEA, but... um, Or Rupert Murdoch. Yes. But Alice Stenman, it was his summer house, and he decided to leave the walls unclad and formed only from their varnished newspaper insulation. For practical reasons, the fireplace and the chimney are brick. So so, (laughs) So he built a house of... You know, made out of newspaper and put a fireplace in there. Yeah. Yeah, what could go wrong? This is true. By 1927, (laughs) five years after he did this, it had become a major tourist attraction. It still is. And the museum is actually still run by members of the Stenman family today. And they'll be rolling on in. You get that? Rolled up newspaper. Yeah, thanks. Just ahead, uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It's all on. Back in a moment. This is Kiwi Trips. This is Mike and Andrew as we coast it in New England. Cruise up the coast into New Hampshire, the first state to have its own constitution and the storied city of Portsmouth. It's a great overnight stop. So if you are rocking up the coast and thinking, where do we lay over to break up the trip? Portsmouth is your ticket. And the city has a legacy of caring for its past. There is this staggering trove of colonial and federal homes in original condition that are open to the public all over town. In fact, there is a neighbourhood of homes which has now been preserved as Strawberry Bank Museum. Ten acres of Ooh, homes. Yeah, Ten acres of homes. It's a lot of exploring to do. And it is. Yeah. Hmm. All of these homes uh, date back to the 1600s when the settlement was established on the banks of Piscataqua River. Yeah, and that museum has a horde of houses that span four centuries of history. In fact, Portsmouth was actually settled as a fishing village in 1623, exactly 400 years ago. So happy birthday, Portsmouth. Happy birthday to you. It's a delight to delve into this time warp. So authentic. And by the way, across the road from Strawberry Bank Museum, Prescott Park. I love Prescott Park. It sounds very American. Isn't it? Mm. Yeah. They have just got the most beautiful gardens, perennial and annual flower gardens. And also close to Prescott Park... Size up the world's fastest submarine, the USS Albacore. Ah, yes, the Albacore. Remarkably, it never went to war, but its shape 
design and equipment with a prototype for the modern submarines in use today. Yeah. So it's proudly on dry land as a display for you to walk around um, this museum ship. You can do self-guided tours, see how the submarine operated, what life was like for the crew. Pretty crap, it has to be said. Dark. Yes, Yes, very dark. Um, And then in the heart of town in Portsmouth, Market Street just brims with temptations, boutiques, lots of specialty shops, lots of arty types. And I just love the uh, streetscapes. They've got like these cast iron storefronts that were added in the 19th century to modernise the city. But it, um, yeah, it's sort of like you've got all of these different architectural periods overlapping each other in Portsmouth. So if you're into your buildings, uh, you will absolutely love this place. Fun fact, do you know what oil they used to cook with on submarines? Whale? No, peanut oil. Really? Because it's got the highest flash point. It doesn't smoke until about 465 degrees Fahrenheit, so it doesn't smoke out the submarine. So peanut oil is used for all the cooking. There you go. Things you didn't know you didn't know. Travel news you can use. (laughs) You could spend days admiring the grandeur of Portsmouth's historic homes, like John Paul Hone's house. John Paul Hone's house. There you go. But why not stay in one of them? That's it. Like to get a real sense of the soul of the place, you've got to go and rest your head in one of these gorgeously restored historic mansions. Mm-hmm. And the one that I that I would suggest is the Hotel Portsmouth, uh, which is this 1881 Queen Anne style mansion just off Market Street. Very boutiquey, only about thirty odd rooms, plush bedding and linen. Really nice common areas, just full of art. It's oh. just a wee sweetheart of a place in Portsmouth. Lovely. Back on the road, 50 kilometres north as you cross the state line into Maine. Maine, very cool place. A nice wee diversion is the resort town hotspot of Kennebunkport. Now, the name Kennebunkport does not conjure up hotspot. (laughs) It's a, you know, (laughs) yes. If I say Kenny Bunkport to you, oh, yeah, what tell do you, you what, think of? I, uh, something out of an American cartoon? I don't know. Mm. Hmm. It's sort of a cartoonish name, isn't it? It is. Kenny Bunkport, yeah. But it's been a vacation bolt hole for over a century, and there was this fantastic town square called Dock Square in Kenny Bunkport, which just has the most incredible array of eateries and artisan stores. But like so much along the New England coast, its history is massive. So the Europeans rocked into town here in 1640. Uh, so a long-time shipbuilding mecca was Kennebunkport. Lots of amazing mansions once again. A lot of them were built and owned by sea captains over the centuries. But best of all, and this is why I wanted to go to Kennebunkport, the Bush family. You know how we talked a few weeks ago about Cape Cod and the Kennedy compound? At Kenny Bunkport, you've got the Bush family compound. So I'm not quite <laughs> sure that the Kennedy dynasty and the Bush family are entirely comparable, but I get your point. Well, the Bushes had two presidents. Yep. Mm. Kennedy's and only had one. They probably would have had two if there hadn't been assassinations. They probably would have. Yeah. But you know, Maybe more. But if George Bush wasn't the sharpest crayon in the pencil case. Senior or junior? 41 or 43? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah, yeah. how did it compare to the Kennedy compound well, in Cape Cod? <laughs> it's actually gorgeous. In fact, if I had to choose which summer house would I like, Cape Cod 
or Walker's Point, Kenny Bungport. I think I might actually go with Kenny Bungport. If you were in that position, I yes. think that we probably wouldn't be recording this. Right. Right. Mm. Well worth a look. Stick around. We head to Portland next. Don't go away. So Skiwi Trips, does you're back with Mike and Andrew as we hopscotch our way along the New England coast. Let us talk about the charismatic city of Portland in the state of Maine, the state where most of, in fact, 11 Stephen King's novels are set. He was born in Portland mm. and he now lives in Portland with his wife, Tabitha. Have you ever seen his house? No. Google Stephen King's house. It is actually like the Munster's house. It is deliberately built <laughs> spooky like all his his novels. He's wow. got gargoyles on the gate, and it's just wow. Well, that's very Portland in itself. Yes. Because it's it's interesting how a lot of these New England cities, because they've got such incredibly historic housing, mm. it's like these cities have got a dark side to their beauty. Oh, yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. All the Stephen King, 11 of them, stories set in <laughs> Maine, have got a real dark twist. Yeah. Really. Portland is a fabulous, fabulous city to explore. Best done on foot. The old port is the historic district where you've got all of these grand old warehouses that have been repurposed as eateries uh, and shops and so forth. Fabulous place just to take a stroll. The hot dog stands. Very good hot dogs in Portland, I have to say, <laughs> which surprised me because I thought it would all just be seafood. Yeah. They they love their hot dogs in Portland. Maybe they get sick of the seafood. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Fringing the entire coastline, Maine's lighthouses are emblems of the state. Their abundance is a reminder of just how treacherous the coast can be for maritime traffic before other technologies were, you know, invented. Yeah, exactly. And one of the best lighthouses you will ever see in your life is the Portland Headlight on Cape Elizabeth. I just love this lighthouse. It's like if you said to someone, please design me the most beautiful looking lighthouse you could imagine, this is it. It is. So (laughs) it is one of the most photogenic spots out of all of New England and so accessible because with some lighthouses that I went to, for example, in Cape Cod, you actually had to walk quite some considerable distance for the reward. Put a bit of effort in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this one, boom, 30 seconds, few steps, and there it is, baby. So snap happily away at Portland Headlight, um, and they've got this actually fantastic lobster roll food truck <laughs> in the car park. This is so <laughs> <laughs> Little effort, short walk with food on tap. Yes. All you wanted was a wine bar and you would have been in heaven. That's right. And I'm sure you stuffed yourself silly uh, because lobster is the food that Maine is known for. That's so true. Pricey, though. Yeah? Very pricey. Well. I mean, I've often thought some of the um, crayfish you get around Kokoda is a bit pricey. Yes. And uh, I think Maine would very much fall into the same category. I just had this roll filled with lobster and a bit of... Thousand Island sauce put on top. I think that's called Thousand Island dressing. Dressing, yeah, Mm. yes. 
and it cost me about 15 American dollars. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for coming. Well, you would have saved the money on fuel, so you'd be right. It was very nice, though. Mm. Um, Cape Elizabeth also is home to Fort Williams Park, which has all sorts of amazing viewing points. They've got fabulous old military fortifications. And then they've got this old mansion. Actually, this is very Stephen King. Goddard Mansion. It's Mm -hmm. like a ruin this mansion, and nature is slowly reclaiming it. There are trees peeking out of the windows in this mansion. It's so cool. How very cool. Portland is rightly proud of its vibrant arts community with street art murals festooning the city. I love that word, festooning. Always have. And tucked away sort of alleys to bring big public spaces like Congress Square Park to life. And it it really is a little nook and cranny place. It is, yeah. So whether it's a little alley or a big public space, they love to just slap up another mural. Very, very colourful place, uh, Portland. And on the first Friday of every month, they have what is called First Friday Art Walk, and it's this free self-guided tour of art galleries, museums, studios. They just open their doors and come on in. Um, (laughs) And uh, on the arty museum front, a fabulous place you should go is called Winslow Homer House mm-hmm. because this museum, art museum, has got all sorts of major artists showcased uh, on its walls. Renoir, Monet, Picasso works by them. Uh, they do a lot of special exhibits, obviously um, spotlight a lot of uh, local main artists as well. Okay. Now, for something very quirky, both believers – and sceptics, agree that Portland's International Cryptozoology Museum is one of the city's most unique attractions. It claims to be the only one of its kind in the whole wide world, a museum dedicated to the study of unknown or hidden animals. (laughs) Yes. This is shameless tourism. Yeah. But it's actually kind of cool. So if you've often found yourself fascinated by the likes of the abominable snowman. Uh, yes. Bigfoot. Nessie. Nessie. Mm. The Montic Monster. <laughs> the Montic Monster. I think that's a, a New York thing. Yeah. Uh, the Jersey Devil. Oh. <laughs> They've got all these amazing displays in this International Cryptozoology Museum. They even reckon they've got some hair samples. From? Some of these elusive beasts. Uh (laughs) Check it out. Take the kids. They'll love it. Oh, great. Now, uh, where's a good place to stay? Uh, The Portland Harbour Hotel. And the reason is it's smack bang in the heart of town. It's had a tip-to-toe refresh. Who doesn't enjoy a tip-to-toe refresh? Oh, indeed, yes. So you've got um, all sorts of character shining through. It's very distinctly nautical vibes. I actually felt like my room was a sailing ship. (laughs) (laughs) Where could we go with that? It was very woodsy, very woodsy. (laughs) Lovely local artwork. I kept in. (laughs) Lots of uh, photography. Stand to attention. Thank you very much, Andrew. Lots of lovely artwork and photography that sort of ramps up the nautical theme. And it's a very pampered sort of hotel. So you'll have like whirlpool tubs with built-in sound systems. Now that I like. Each floor has a breakfast nook. Mm-hmm. featuring a touchscreen Starbucks coffee machine yes. and all-day snacks. This is the USA, of course, yes. all-day snacks. Yes. And on-site dining can be found at the Harbour Bistro and Terrace. This is such a great restaurant within the hotel, and a lot of share plates were 
on offer. Um, Did you share? Well, sort of. <laughs> I, I've always had um, a difficult relationship with Brussels sprouts. Oh, they're horrible. Well, these guys, as a shareable plates menu dish, had crispy Brussels sprouts with yeah. a cheesy bread. Right. <laughs> and, and it worked. Oh. So I have got a newfound respect for Mr. Brussels Sprout. Their butternut squash bisque was quite nice too. If you need to increase your lobster intake, I would have to say this restaurant had the best lobster rolls. Really? I sampled in New England. Yeah. They had um, like- So it was better than the food truck by the lighthouse. That was nice, mm-hmm. but it was expensive, I mm-hmm. thought, for mm-hmm. what I got. I think where the lobster rolls at Harbour Bistro and Terrace had the edge was- it came with a herb and lemon mayonnaise, oh, which I think beat the Thousand Island dressing. Oh, wow. So there's a top tip for your crayfish. <laughs> Give it a good drizzle of herb and lemon mayo. By the way, if you are a fan of dessert. Which you are. <laughs> don't go past the maple cream brulee. Oh, my God. Yes. A new found discovery for things to do with maple. Add it to the- <laughs> Add it, to, add, it, add it to cream brulee and berries. and um, That's one of the things you could do, yeah. Oh, there is that. You're such a glutton. I've been called worse. Uh, yes, I have a list, but I was trying to keep it classy. Keeping it classy on Kiwi Tripsters as Mike mimics a gannet in a gut truck. <laughs> what do you mean mimics? It is time to wrap this up. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to like our Facebook page. And our show notes are, as always, available on the website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. You can check out our travel articles on our sister site, fortheloveoftravel.nz. Fortheloveoftravel.nz. Plus, we'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast platform of your choice, and we're everywhere. Yes, and fire away with your feedback, whether you wish to keep it classy or not. Your feedback is very welcome. <laughs> Be like a gannet in a gut truck with your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> and we look forward to catching you for our next edition of Kiwi Tripsters in a week's time. Take care now. Telly ho. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.